including the right people in decision-making. When making decisions, it's essential to proactively include the stakeholders, the experts, and the people who are impacted. Even when you're 99% sure about the decision itself, including the right people will help them feel heard, respected, and let them more readily accept decisions that even if they don't like those decisions. I'm Jason Gore, and I'm here with executive coach Robert McNaughton. This is a great one, Jason, because it really emphasizes that aside from the content of the decision being made, the rapport that we have with our colleagues, the way that we consider them as actual human beings with experiences goes so far into making sure that the most excellence is fostered in our culture. Mm -hmm. You know, not only does it help you make better decisions, right? And a lot of executives, for example, you know, might know a decision is in the right direction, but when you start hearing the people in the cubicles and their concerns, the execution or the little nuances of that decision can be done better. But I think more importantly than just making better decisions, the importance of this one is really around getting alignment and buy-in and speed of execution. You know, we it's almost like if we look at what's the better metric, speed to decision versus speed to execution. Yes. Speed to execution, I think, is a lot more important. Um, and so this practice of inclusion, I think, optimizes for speed to execution. Agreed. Yeah, you know, and if I think about the, the costs to the leaders, to the teams, when they're not including other people in their decision making, is it reinforces that sense of that people are just automatons, that they're replaceable, that they should just kind of phone it in and bring themselves to work, because why, why bring more of themselves if they're not actually being included. And oftentimes the leader will think that they're doing people a favor by not bugging them with things, but actually they're losing out on a lot of the potency of the team. Totally. You know, so many of startup leaders, they want extreme ownership and they have it in the beginning. You know, when their teams are 5, 10, 15, 20 people, um, they have That's their right. ownership. And then they, they ask what happened? Like, when did this co company culture change? And this is one of the things that really causes those the culture to change in a negative way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, no one, no, like being in a startup when it is just four or five people is, is, is exciting. It's engaging. Every, it requires the most out of everybody. So it calls us to that higher level, that place that, you know, we're most engaged. But once we start growing beyond that, it really can, we can get lost in the weeds and fall through the cracks. And all of a sudden it's just like, well, I guess, you know, I, I really don't need to bring my, my best here. Mm-hmm. You know, the number one rule of change management is pretty much to talk to as many people as you can, right? Sometimes you can't because of structural or confidential reasons yep. before decisions are made. And yes. you kind of have a plan of action. Like, who are you going to include at what point? Yes. Right? Executives are going to include, and then at which point, which you include other people. Like, who are you going to be consulting with? And now, you do have to be very careful because once you consult someone, they think they're part of the decision. So it's also really nice to know who's actually going to make the decision. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be usually going to be the CEO where the buck stops. But oftentimes, it's going to be an executive um, who makes, uh, you know, marketing folks are going to make marketing decisions. Facilities folks are going to make facility decisions. Yes, they're going to consult the CEO, and yes, the CEO can trump. But it's like that's really where the decision lands. Yeah. Uh, and clarifying that can speed things up so that we can consult a bunch of people and yes. still make a fast decision. 
I think you, uh, I'm really glad that you emphasize this one, Jason, because that's, you know, on the governance side of things, like having clarity about who's accountable, whose domain of authority this is, goes so far to like, you know, good fences make good neighbors, right? And so if I know that you're the one that at the end of the day has the full, you know, executive autonomy to make this decision, then there, there is no debate about, you know, well, I, I think you should do it another way. But then it then allows you to do the practice of depositing into the social equity bank account by asking me my opinion, by doing the advice process of, you know, of saying, it's like, what do you think about this? You know, and, and tell me more about that. Cause that is going to increase the report. It's going to have me feel like, oh, my, you, you want my opinion. Wow. I'm a part of this decision. Even if it's not the decision I would have go with, I still actually feel like it's part of me. Yeah. You know, for about five, 10 years of my life, I basically was a change management expert. Hmm. So I was hired by executives to lead a change. And they knew kind of where they wanted to go, but they didn't exactly know how to get there. And these were big changes, you know, changes that affect hundreds, if not thousands of people. Mm -hmm. And it was always interesting because, you know, I became the point person, even though I was not a decision maker. The executive that hired me was the decision maker. I was doing all the groundwork to collect the the feedback, to collect the ideas, to make the proposals. Um, And the executive took all the credit. So... When we talk about inclusion, I think it's important to say how important it is, but that the executive doesn't have to be the one that's talking to everybody. Nice. You can have someone else do the legwork of inclusion. Yes. Yeah, it really just matters that people are being engaged with it. It's like, I, you know, the things that get in the way of this is often leaders think that by talking to people, it's going to slow things down. Or it's like, you know, it's like, no, I have all the information that I need. I don't actually want to get bogged down with more feedback because then people are going to get upset when um, it doesn't go their way. But really, it's the, it's the opposite that by engaging them, whether it's me as the decision maker or just someone in the culture is being engaged around it, people feel like they're in the conversation. Yep. I was recently working with a company um, and the CEO had made a decision to relocate. And it was, a, you know, relocation decision is a big decision. And essentially, it was either ro- relocate with us or... If not, then we're not going to do a long-distance team. And so it had a huge negative impact. And when he announced it, um, everybody was really upset that they weren't included. And frankly, of the original 2025 people, I think two or three stayed with the company in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Some relocated temporarily but didn't say There was so much built-up resentment and problems in the decision. And honestly, if he had just said right before the decision was made, like he knows that he's going to make the decision. He's 99.999% sure he's going to make the decision. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, I think we need to make a tough decision here. This is the decision. I want to find out how it impacts you. And if he, he just heard everybody else out That's right. and then made the decision, uh, it would have been a completely different experience and the level of, resentment and issues and all of that would have been so much less. Exactly. Yeah. All those social tensions get to be abated when, when people are engaged and, and treated with the respect that they deserve as human beings. And that's, that's one side of the token. The other side of the token is the benefit of actually making an informed decision. 
Yeah. Like in, in the case of your story, it's like, you know, he, he already knew where he was going with that. But in many cases, if I'm actually getting more information about it, I very may like, I, I might be even more confident about the decision right. I'm going to make. And then I can, I don't have to just kind of sneak it into a conversation or say it in a way that hides from the blowback of it. It's like, no, I can say it a lot more confidently because I know where people stand on it already. You know, and in this particular case, what actually happened was, you know, the CEO had announced a date of a move. What actually happened was the move happened in tranches because mm. of logistical concerns that later came up, mm -hmm. right? So that his original plan was, in fact, changed. And if he had talked to people in, in advance, he could have announced that change. Um, now, the thing to also say is, you know, in part, this particular CEO was like, I already know this, what the decision is going to be made. So why should I talk to those people? Why do I need to hear them out? But what's ironic is the amount of listening and hearing out he had to do after the fact was probably double or triple That's right. of time. And the buy-in, you know, people went reluctantly uh, rather than being really bought in. Um, and so if you look at kind of total time to execution, it was yes. much, much longer uh, and took a lot more effort than if you would have included the right people. I think there's like an old paradigm um, frame around this where people say like, you know, ask for forgiveness instead of ask for permission, where they think that if they're going to, you know, engage other people in a decision making process, it's asking for their permission. And then in that case, it is better just to deal with the fallout afterwards. But that's an out of date frame that doesn't accurately reflect reality, that the truth of the matter is I'm not asking for your permission. I'm asking for the impact. I'm asking for your opinion. I'm asking for your experience with uh, around it. And what I'm actually doing is yeah. treating you with respect. So then, you know, the asking for forgiveness is actually toxic cleanup as mm -hmm. opposed to it's like, well, we're all on the same page about this. We may not like it, but this is the direction we're going and we're still a team. And, you know, there are times where you can't announce things. You know, you can't announce mergers until they get to a certain level. Right. You certainly can't announce, you know, reductions in force where you're letting a bunch of people go until you sort things out. Um, otherwise, it's going to instill more fear. And in those moments, I think it's just really important to deeply apologize for not being able to include everybody in the decision process and explain why and why you had to announce it at a, in a very short order format. Um, and there are times, you know, like, like when I lead rafting trips and I'm the safety lead where I have to lead rescues, I will tell people in the beginning of the trip, hey guys, in rescue situations, I may not include people in decision making. Nice. And I'm gonna apologize in advance, but in those cases, there are times when speed is of the essence and I'll apologize in advance and I'll set the team up because I've dealt with so much issue and so much anger and resentment when I take over a, lead, a situation and you know, maybe I save someone's life and everybody's angry at me for it. Well, that's right. And I think that's a great Jedi leader trick that you just shared. And I employ that a lot, especially when I'm facilitating, you know, kind of big groups of people, I will say on the front end, like in service of us doing this the way that we all want it to go, I may interrupt you, I may cut you off, I may da da da. And like, and I'm okay with that. And I'm saying that to remind myself of it. And it always kind of gets a chuckle, but it's just kind of like pre framing that I may as a leader have to do things that you may not like. And let's all be on the same page that we're a yes to that before yeah. the tension comes up. So, you know, we talked about some of the benefits. We certainly talk a lot about the costs. Yeah. 
what are the mindsets that get in the way here? Because honestly, this is one of those things where people do it and, and you know, they, they don't think they need to be inclusive. And yep. so let's talk about like, what, where's, where are some of the pitfalls or how do people get into trouble here? Yeah, I think some of the things that we've already talked about, you know, around, you know, that it seems like it's going to slow down a decision. Uh, if I check in with people, it seems like I'm asking for permission. And frankly, it's just a, I don't want to deal with other people's opinions around this. Yeah. And that the foundation, the foundational practice, what we're talking about here is staying in relationship. That's yeah. the most important thing. And the thing is, that's hard. People don't want to stay in relationship. I think another another one is around um, people feel like it's a it's a, a battle to win. Like I've often heard things like, mm-hmm. "Well, why would I do a town hall meeting where everybody gets to present their issues if I'm trying to encourage them to go down fork A? Why would I want them to publicly bash that?" And totally. Right. And it feels like they're going to lose the battle. And I'm like, no, like the best way to win this battle is to acknowledge the resistance, acknowledge all the reasons why we shouldn't do A and then explain we're going to do A anyway because of these other reasons or because of the priorities. And so that people really understand and really get it. And we're going to talk about how to do that well, but you can't do that at all if you don't include people. That's right. Yeah, exactly. This, this practice of advice process of asking for people's opinions about things, letting them get your world about why you're thinking about it the way that it is, is, is respectful and it's effective. Yeah. So the first thing to do here, right, best practice is, first of all, like, think about who needs to be included. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's the right number of people and how you include them. So mm-hmm. there are people that are going to be actually in the negotiation process. They're their buy-in and their opinion is actually part of the decision. Even mm-hmm. though you might make the final call, like you're kind of negotiating with them and making sure that they're, they're able to be bought in. There's the people that are consulted where it's like you're getting information and you're hearing what's up for them, but you're actually not really negotiating with them. You're, it's more of a one-way informational flow from mm-hmm. them to you. And then later on, there's people that are being informed that it's like they're going to be impacted and you want them hearing it directly rather than, you know, through a email or secondhand uh, because it is going to affect them, in, you know, in a, in a big way. That's right. And so mapping that out, um, and there's different acronyms. Um, one of the acronyms is RACI, is Responsible, Accountable, Consulted, Informed. That's an acronym that's out there. You can do a lot of research on that, um, and a lot has been written about that. Um, but yeah. just mapping out these people, right? And once again, you don't have to do it, but, you know, have one of your executives. Okay, who's going to be impacted by this decision? Who should I include and how? That's right. Yeah, asking others to to say, is anyone else who, who's going to be impacted about this that we should hear from? Mm-hmm. Once again, that engenders even more trust and autonomy and respect, calls people to a higher level. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the things we, we mentioned earlier, it, the other, like, leg of the stool in a certain sense is – making sure we're clear on who does get to make the decision, like yes. who actually has the, the authority to make this decision. And if that's unclear, solve that first before going totally. and asking anyone. Especially in any sort of community setting. That could go horribly wrong where people think that the decision is being made by consensus. And then they later learn that actually they're not one of the decision makers. 
I mean, there's a lot of resentment that can be easily built up there very fast. Yeah, there's a natural tendency, especially in progressive workplaces and, you know, companies that really want to, you know, do things in their own way. There is a tendency towards consensus and egalitarian and inclusion. So when we're talking about being inclusive about decision making, it actually, the effectiveness is dependent on the clarity of the hierarchy first of who actually it has the authority to make the decision who has the fiduciary responsibility to, you know, the owners of the company that they, they're actually acting on their behalf that we're not doing a consensus here. I have to admit, I love businesses for this reason. Mm-hmm. I, I love hierarchy for the effectiveness of the decision-making process when it's done right. Yes. Um, you know, community or consensus oriented decisions can be very painful and, um, tend to be a little bit less risk averse than I think that businesses need. So, you know, I, I'm curious for your opinion, Robert, you, you have a lot of depth of knowledge here. Um, but the, the, that perfect combination of good decisions made quickly, um, in my mind, in a hierarchy with good level of inclusivity yes. is kind of an optimal structure for that. Yeah, I mean, truly, yeah, we are we are looking for the best of both worlds, you know, of healthy hierarchy and then healthy, you know, uh, community, you know, uh, heterarchy in a certain sense. But the truth of the matter is, healthy hierarchy, growth oriented structures of hierarchy lead towards healthier relationships, healthy culture, abundant cultures, diverse cultures. When there's a really effective decision-making that isn't uh, defensive and getting siloed, but is inclusive and and allows that conversation to be present. That's what leads towards healthy culture. Yep. Um, I really want to end here with just talking about speed, right? Because we are asking people to slow down a little bit to get more buy-in and be faster in the execution. Yeah. Um, A couple years ago, I started to attend high-performance driving schools. And what I found was, you know, I would go into these corners and I would go in way too hot, way too fast. Mm-hmm. And I'd be breaking and I'd be kind of a mess in the corners. And it would take, take me a while to get on the accelerator and the outside because I was just trying to maintain control of the vehicle. Um, and over time, what I've been learning and the, the main thrust of my school is slow in, fast out. Mm-hmm. And so, right, I'll be coming down a straightaway. I'm thinking of High Plains Raceway in Colorado. You know, the straightaway, you know, I'll be coming in at about 120, assuming that I don't want to go full out. And um, I hit my brakes hard until I get down to about 65. I mean, I really slow down. But I hit the brakes as late as possible, right? I'm speeding towards that wall, and then I hit the brakes, you know, late, as late as possible, slow down the car, coast through the turn, right, with some, some threshold braking, which I don't need to explain. And then I'm on the accelerator right at the apex, Right, so that I come out of that turn going pretty fast, right? Whereas if I come in way too hot, let's say I come in and you know I only break to like ninety, what happens is I come out of the turn at like forty, um, way slower, and I don't catch up, and that's when all the other cars will start to pass me. Um, and so it's you really have to. There is a sense of we can go fast, but there's a time to break. Yes. Right. And whether that's at the 99.9% mark, like right before the decision is made or earlier in the process if you can, and check in and say, hey, what's the right speed to have this conversation? And then once you get alignment, you know, pedal to the metal 
and execute on that decision with, with full throttle. That's right. And that's what uh, informed decision-making allows us to do. And this can, you know, the, what I've seen this happen in cultures and with leaders with excellence, it's they just do it on the fly a, a, a lot more often. It's like it's important, as you said, Jason, to map out who this is uh, uh, impacted. But oftentimes, you know, we'll, I'll be in a meeting or I'll be in a one-on-one -on -one or even passing someone in the hall and just be like, hey, whoa, before I forget it, uh, you know, I'm doing this thing. Can you, you know, give me your two cents about this? And it, it, uh, it can be enculturated organically as well as formally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as we wrap up here, you know, the point of inclusivity is to make good decisions, to execute them fast, to be able to create a culture where hierarchy is both respected, um, but you also respect the the intelligence, the expertise, the roles of the people, and to kind of do hierarchy well. That's right. And to empower people to have ownership, um, to be involved, to care, and to be able to buy in on decisions. And when decisions are made that they don't like, to have them really understand, even if they would have made a different decision, why that decision was made, so that they can be making future decisions in alignment with the priorities of the company. That's right. Anything to close out here, Robert? Well, I think that what, you know, it's worth driving it in even further that, you know, I, uh, like healthy organizations have healthy hierarchy, which is all about responsibility, which mm -hmm. means being inclusive of other people's opinions, which means taking the responsibility to act on behalf of everyone. These aren't oppressive, um, ab abusive hierarchies. These are effective hierarchies that create more excellence in the world. Mm -hmm. The key takeaway here is that when making decisions, it's essential to proactively include the stakeholders, the experts, the people who are impacted, and it will end up speeding up the execution of that decision. Really good stuff, Jason. I hope this is helpful for all of you. Thanks, Robert, and to all the leaders out there. Um, hopefully this conversation has been great and helpful.